So I want to kind of let you know of uh, also where we're going to go um, starting next Sunday morning. Um, we're going to begin to walk through the book of Jude together. Um, it's the book right before uh, the book of Revelation. Uh, Jude is Jesus' half-brother, and he is addressing a number of issues that were present at that time uh, in, in really affecting the church in regard to false teaching and things. And so we're going to begin that next week. It's going to take us uh, about three months to do it. I think it's uh, or two and a half months to do that. Um, if some of my sermons, I've already written most of them, are pretty long. And so, so we may have to stretch them out a little bit, but it'll take us at least uh, about 10 weeks uh, to walk through that. And then I have been um, strongly felt um, after Jude that we would spend seven weeks looking at the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. They are representative um, of churches throughout history, of uh, things that the church has faced, how the church has responded to those things. And so um, as a result of beginning to read and spending time in Revelation 2 and 3, um, that kind of became the impetus of what we're going to do this morning to deal with that first church, which, the, which is uh, the church at Ephesus. So of the seven churches mentioned by Christ in Revelation 2 and chapter 3, you only find the book of Ephesus in Acts. We don't know anything about the other six, when they were planted, how they were started, who started them, um, but, but we know for sure things about that. And so by the end of the first century, the church planting movement had permeated um, pretty much directly by Paul much of what we know as Asia Minor. Um, Turkey is now modern Turkey, but when you begin to look at places like Ephesus and some of those things, those are that's the European continent. And so by the time we get to the end of the first century, um, much of Asia Minor... Um, we're going to read something in just a moment. As a matter of fact, why don't you go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 15. We're gonna, that's the first scripture that we're going to look at uh, this morning, Romans chapter 15. We're going to find out from Paul that the church planting movement in the first century, in those first decades, was pretty pervasive and, and very strong. So much of Asia Minor had churches all over it. Um, and Luke doesn't uh, allow us to know about any, some of these other churches that were there, but we do know about Ephesus. So Romans chapter 15, I want you to read just one verse with me so we can kind of get an idea of what was happening and taking place. Romans 15, verse 23. It's really astounding verse that we're going to see here. Romans fifteen twenty-three. So Paul writing to the church at Rome says, But now... Since I no longer have any room for work in these regions. And since I have longed for many years to come to you. And he communicates to them. I want you to read that with me again. Particularly in regard to the first part of that verse. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions. Now look up here for a moment. I want you to think about how incredible that statement is again Paul is being led by the Holy Spirit to write this letter to to the to this church in Rome and he's communicating this that is in regard to at least Asia Minor there has been such a tremendous church planting movement that people 
all over Asia Minor have had the opportunity to hear about Jesus. And I want you to think about how significant that is. That there wasn't a place in Asia Minor that had not had an opportunity for people to hear about Jesus. Paul's going to later, we'll see um, uh, later today that he communicates really strongly about that reality. And so the church had been, so the church in the West, but moving up just to the north and to the west, there had been such a great work. The influence of the gospel was incredibly powerful and began to move into the European continent. We know that by decades in, in regard to these churches, they were either growing strongly, they were maturing, they were handling things, or some of these churches, as you read in Revelation 2 and 3, were deeply struggling with influence from within the church of false teaching or things from without the church putting um, pressure upon. The church at Ephesus seemed to have been one of the strongest churches that Paul had planted. So we know this, that these churches were consistently gathering together, sometimes at great cost to their lives. Many of them um, were, were gathering together under deep persecution. And many of them took their gathering very serious. They got up on New Year's Day and came to, to church. And as I said last week, the really, really blessed Christians came last week and today. So these Christians, again, as the church was being established under deep persecution, were consistently meeting together, making it a priority for them and a consistent practice in their lives. We know in Revelation 2 and 3 that Jesus walked in among these seven churches. He looked at them. He had a close examination of them, how they were doing, what they were allowing in, were they remaining strong, and a number of things in that nature. So the church at Ephesus stands alone among the seven that Jesus address, um, addresses. And we don't, again, we, we know about its founding. Um, we know about its development. We know about Paul's close relationship with his church. We know that Paul was integral, um, very, very integral in starting this church. And again, we don't know much about the other six in Revelation 2 and 3, but we know much about this. Let me give you a little bit of background on the city of Ephesus. Ephesus at this time that Paul entered it and, and began to share the gospel and people began to come to faith. It was a very strategic commercial city in Asia. It was the largest city um, in that part of Asia under the Roman influence and, and governorship by uh, Rome. And by the time the gospel um, was preached there, it had a population of about 250,000 people, which at that particular point in time was a pretty significant place. It was located in the north of the Caister River on the Gulf of the um, Aegean Sea. And it was a flourishing commercial export center for Asia. Many ships would come in, many ships would leave, taking goods um, all over everywhere. It was an incredibly beautiful city. Philo wrote at this time that he had been to see the pyramids. He'd been a number of places, but he said that when he entered into um, Ephesus, he had never seen anything more beautiful and more prominent than what he saw when he entered the city of Ephesus. It was a breathtaking city. So a traveler from Rome would land 
in Ephesus, and they would immediately walk, um, begin to walk into the heart of the city on a walkway of stone that was 35 feet wide. And it kind of led people into the heart of the city and kind of led people um, to the port where a number of things um, would happen there. As you began to walk up into the, the city, um, it was lined with columns that led from the harbor all the way into, into the marketplace, into the city. This city had a major sports stadium, a marketplace, and a theater. As a matter of fact, the theater was so significant that at it you could go there and 25,000 people could sit in the theater. So it was a big place where the arts were significant at that particular point in time. Let me tell you a little bit about the religion that was happening um, in Ephesus when Paul brought the gospel there. There were temples that were built to Claudius, Hadrian, and Severus. But the biggest temple and the most significant temple that was there was the temple of Artemis or Diana. Kind of interchangeable there, same, same one. This was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. As a matter of fact, as I said a while ago, Philo said this is like it was the most beautiful place of all the places that he had been. He had seen the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. He had seen everything. He would seen the pyramids. And he, he just said there was nothing that was like the city of Ephesus. About four times the size of the Parthenon. If you've seen Athens, that the ruins that are on top of Athens that are up there. Um, this was much bigger. The temple to Artemis was much bigger than that. It was incredibly significant. It had about a hundred more columns than, than that one did. I mean, it just was gigantic and really stood out um, when he came into the city. Um, it was burned in 356 B.C. Um, it was rebuilt and, um, and just really, really kind of over the centuries, it was kind of... Uh, burned and rebuilt over a number of times. It is believed that it was the very first structure that was completely built of marble. And so that was at one of the most latest ones in which they did that. Now I want to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 18, and we're going to begin to kind of look at um, the founding of that. That's a little bit of the background. But again, going back to Romans fifteen twenty three, when Paul says, but now since I have no any room for the work in these regions... He recognized that the gospel needed to go somewhere else, and so he continues to take the gospel west, and eventually he ends up in the city of Ephesus. So Paul has a brief visit in Acts chapter 18, and let's read 18 through 21. So it says, After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, And with him, Priscilla and Aquila. At Sincrea, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there, left Priscilla and Aquila there in Ephesus. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. So Paul has an initial brief visit there. It doesn't look like there was a church planted at that particular point in time. Um, We'll read in a moment. It looks like the church in Ephesus was planted a bit later than that. Did you notice verse 20? Just just want to point that out. That a little different. The people there are like, will you stay, Paul? Will you stay among us? And Paul's like, no, I'm not going to stay. 
kind of seems a little bit different of, of what we know about Paul is deep passion. And you've got a group of people saying, please stay here, teach us, be among us. But Paul seems to have had um, Caesarea and Antioch on his heart and his mind. And he wants to kind of get back there and, and see what is happening and taking place. Um, but this is Paul's first initial encounter with Ephesus. Now go down with me to verse 24 of Acts chapter 18, and we're going to encounter a guy named Apollos who was there. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he had wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him, wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. And when he got there, Um, For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing them by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. I'm going to talk just for a moment about Apollos and what is happening here. He arrives and begins to preach and begins to just really strongly proclaim the gospel. It seems that he stays um, longer initially than Paul um, when Paul first came. And he, he begins to just say things. And so one day, as we read there... Priscilla and Aquila show up. Apollos is preaching. He seems to be a very passionate preacher, kind of like y'all's preacher, kind of like that. And just, uh, no? Okay, anyway. All right. But he, he seems, to have, seems to have probably one of those guys that, you know, we all have probably a favorite person. We're like, we just love hearing him speak. He, he was one of those guys, I think, when he preached, he was very captivating. I think I think he, he just was uniquely gifted to be winsome as he preached and and to and to communicate things and so so Paul shows up and he begins to preach. Aquila and Priscilla, who had been discipled by Paul, recognized that there was a little bit of Apollos's teaching that wasn't fully accurate or or it really I guess probably the more accurate thing to say is it lacked some understanding of the fullness of the gospel. And so one of the things that's always important to do is is those who have great wisdom to take those who may have great passion and great gifting like Apollo said. To sometimes even those need to be sat down and said, hey, let me give you a little bit more understanding about this. And so Priscilla and Aquila sit down with Apollos. Um, They give him some more information about some of the things that he lacked some understanding about or didn't have the information about. And so they share some things with him. Now look with me in chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. So Paulus leaves them and he goes to Corinth, but we're going to get some more information in regard to what's happening back in Ephesus. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. Most likely what we're about to read here, probably some disciples of Apollos. They're going to have the same issue. His understanding only went up to the, to the baptism of John. He didn't know really anything about the baptism 
of the Holy Spirit that had taken place at Pentecost is the indication that's there. And so they're going to meet some, Paul's going to meet some guys there. So verse 2. And so he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism, which was the baptism of repentance. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Verse 8. So there in Ephesus, Paul entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation. So you see there, there's a church now that is established. Likely over, um, you've got 12 guys that Paul has explained some things now. You've got um, Priscilla and Aquila are there. So likely the church has been founded there. You've got um, Paul for over three months is reasoning with the Jew, reasoning with the Jews, and more people are believing. And so verse 8, or um, verse 9, but when some became stubborn and continued unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation. He withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued, note, for two years. Now note this, so that all, don't miss this, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So here we use our W-4 method. We, we want to see, is there, is there common language? Is there co- common communication about things? And so Romans 15, Paul communicates to us. Um, I don't have a place in Asia Minor anymore to work. Now here, Paul is, it's being, or Luke is writing that, and he's kind of communicating the same thing. That there, again, is this, does this astound you? This astounds me. Everybody on that part of the continent had heard the gospel of Jesus. That is how pervasive the Spirit was at work establishing churches everywhere in that particular region. So, so verse 10, this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. I want to stop just for a moment here and, 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 and say a couple of things, and then we'll read a little bit further. I want you to note what undergirds what we do here as a church at LifePoint. We need to learn from the apostles. We need to learn how they practiced and what they did. Paul spent the most amount of time of any place of the churches that he um, established with the church of Ephesus. We see that there seems to be a really uh, deep love that they have for him. He has an incredible deep love for them. And I want you to note that in the place that he spent the majority of time, there were two primary things that he did. And that was to be missional in evangelism, of reasoning with people, and communicating that Jesus is the Messiah. And then not only did he do that, but did you note that he would go 
weekly to the synagogue, teach. And then eventually, when they had opposition, he went to the school of Tyrannus that was there. It was a, a hallway there in a school. And for two years, daily, he taught the word of God. There is not a higher priority, as we learn from the Apostle Paul, of what the church is to do than to seek to communicate the truth from the Scripture as to who Jesus is, that people need to come to faith in Him. And then as people come to faith in them, that they daily, consistently study the Scripture together and are discipled, not in man's philosophy, but are discipled in what? The Scriptures. This is the focus. And we learn much about what the church is to be doing by what Paul practiced here. This is the deal with us. We, we want to continue to do this. We never want to stray from this mission that we want to communicate the truth as to why Jesus is so important and why people need to believe in him and repent of their sin and come to faith. And then as people come to faith, we want people to be in the word to begin to know what the Word says, and to walk in obedience with the Lord. Now look with me in Acts 19, verse 11. In God, Luke writes, was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and evil spirits came out of them. And then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? Now stop there just for a moment. Really significant. That the demons wreaking havoc with idol worship in this part of the European continent say, yeah, we know about Jesus. We know about him. Paul's influence influence was so strong that they say, and we recognize the name Paul. Why? Why? Because everywhere on part of a continent, the gospel had gone out. Demons had been cast out. There in the city of Ephesus, handkerchiefs that had touched Paul were carried away to people. Some of these demons had been cast out. And Paul's reputation and name was even known to them. So let me get back to where we are. Look at verse 16. And the man in whom the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, the seven sons of Siva, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus. Kind of all, this word all is there. All of Asia Minor, all of Ephesus now is learning about Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of Jesus was extolled. Also many of those who were now believers, came confessing and divulging their practices. 
And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them, and it came to 50,000 silver pieces. And the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So the gospel has spread throughout the city. It's becoming a problem. People are burning books. Um, just repentance, conviction, change, transformation is happening. Look with me in verse 21. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So this is what Paul wanted to do. 22 says, and having sent into Macedonia, two of his helpers sent him ahead of time, Timothy and Erastus. He himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, <clears throat> who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. Look up here just for a second when we get to 25. You go to some famous place. What's always outside of that place? Little, little people selling, right? Little, little things that have been made somewhere, and they're selling a copy of the pyramids or copy of something that the Aztecs did. This is, this is what was happening place. You have all these little things selling these little trinkets that are connected um, to this temple that is there. So, 25. These he gathered together, Demetrius, with the workmen in similar trades, and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia... This Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. Again, you see the influence of the architecture and what's there. 28. And when they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, the Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, kind of like him, now bold, wants to get in there, the disciples will not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to go into the theater. Again, this is the place that sat 25,000 people. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion. Second time, that's there. Listen to this. Where idol worship reigns. You have deep confusion. That's what you have. Truth is a pathway for us, a light for us to know what to do. And it says that most of them did not know even why they had come together. Look at 33. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, listen to this, for about two hours... They all cried out with one voice, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Let me stop there just for a second. We've all seen 
this on television. Lost people worshiping their false gods can be pretty passionate. For two hours, they just over and over, great is Artemis. Great is Artemis. 34, but when they recognized that he was a Jew for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. 35, and when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is a temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Most likely, that's a meteor that fell, probably pretty big, significant. They kind of think about that it had come to them from the sky and from their gods. 36, seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls, let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. So the riot happens. The riot takes place. Um, Paul eventually leaves. He goes away. He goes to Greece for three months. He goes back to Macedonia. He stops at Troas. Troas, there's this unique experience there. Um, I, I love it. It's, it's a funny little story, but it's a unique little story. Um, Paul shows up at Troas, and, and he's just teaching all night long, and he gets late into the night, and a teenager's resting in a window. His name is Eutychus, and he gets tired of the Bible study and falls asleep and falls out the third-story window and dies. Paul goes down and kind of that that disrupts a Bible study, by the way, if something like that happens. So Paul goes down, raises him back to life. Pretty incredible Bible ending of the Bible study that happened there. And then they continued on that night. And then Paul is on his way and he's going to stop. And now in chapter 20, we're almost through with the background of this. Um. In Acts chapter 20, if you'll go to verse 17, and we'll see the last connection point personally that Paul has with this church in Ephesus. Acts 20, verse 17. So we see here he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's going to pass by Ephesus. He doesn't want to stop by Ephesus, but he sends to, to meet with them. Now, from Miletus... He sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you. Again, he had spent over two years with them. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. In teaching you in public and from house to house. Testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction awaits me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And then speaking to the elders, he gives them a very special charge here in 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now listen to the tenderness that this church has for him and how he has his love for them. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. So Paul speaks here that we read of the great cost that would come to himself. He also calls them to the great cost that would be for the elders to protect the church. And you see in verses 36 and 38, the deep love that they had for him and the deep love that he had for them. Just a couple more thoughts and then we're going to begin to worship. We're going to, we're going to sing some songs and we're going to read all six verses or six verses, six chapters of the book of Ephesians this morning. Listen, church. Let the word of God just wash over us this morning. 2,000 years ago, a little less than that, Paul does get eventually to Jerusalem. He's arrested. He gets sent to Rome. He's in a prison. And he's going to write a letter that we have now called Ephesians. So he founded this church somewhere around 53 A.D. He's going to write this letter back to them around A.D. 60 or 61. Somewhere in there is when he most likely wrote this. 
This church had great leaders. It had the influence of Apollos. It had Aquila and Priscilla. It had the Apostle Paul. We later learn, uh, as Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 4 through 7, Paul writes to Timothy, he said, Remember when I was going to Macedonia, I, I sent you to Ephesus to stay there and to teach. And so we know this, that the church in Ephesus eventually has Timothy as its pastor. And for what we know from church tradition is that later in John, the Apostle John's life, is that he is also likely an elder for sure, maybe the pastor and leader of the church in Ephesus. This church had tremendous leadership of people investing in them. So with that background and understanding that, uh, I want to pray now and then uh, we're going to sing and then we're going to have people come up and we're going to read this. And so you're going to need to go to Ephesians chapter 1 and, and follow along because here's what happened one day. Somebody showed up one day with a scroll that had come from Rome, one of Paul's prison letters, and the church in Ephesus was gathered together that morning. And let's say it showed up on a Thursday. Um, I would hope that we would be this way if we could go back 2,000 years. If somebody came and said, we have gotten a letter from Paul from Rome. I'm hoping they didn't wait till Sunday to read it, to gather to worship. I'm hoping that they got word out all over Ephesus. We're coming tonight on Thursday. And we're going to listen to what Paul has written to us. That we can hear and learn more about our Lord. Please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. And let's read the word of God together. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, 
who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ, when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. It's not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. 
But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you, have, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to this holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone that is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God may now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in Christ in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth 
and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Ephesians 4. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we, attain all, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and from by the waves carried about by every wind of the doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of their heart. They became callous. They have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you have learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through all deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away your falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as in good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. 
Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you, as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are all out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partakers with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper. And arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Give thanks always for always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, and she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way 
of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with, with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am, how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Go ahead and just remain standing for a moment. Wow, what a day. That's pretty amazing just to hear that. Can you imagine hearing that for the very first time? And just them probably not knowing the fullness that this was going to be read until the church existed no more. And this word, the word will last forever. As long as the church is here, they will be reading the book of Ephesians and be guided by it. So I want to close with this thought. So about 44 years or so after Paul established this church and about 34 years after he wrote this letter to them, Jesus is walking amongst the lampstand of the church in Ephesus. And he speaks to John, and John hears what's happening and taking place. And Jesus has to address the church in Ephesus. They had lost something. And so he tells them that they had lost 
they had misplaced over those 30 years. They had a lot of good things. He, he says a lot of good things about them in Revelation 2. He says they're working really hard. They've got great patient endurance. They don't bear with evil people. They have great discernment to, to understand what's being taught in, in religious hypocrisy. They embrace the utmost priority. He speaks about it there. And they've not grown weary in it, but they had forgotten about something. Do you remember what it was? They had forgotten to keep on loving Jesus. You can do a lot of stuff. But if you forget about loving Jesus, then you get off track and your heart is not in it. And so as I can't think of anything more proper today than to be reminded what Jesus told the church at Ephesus that they needed. And this is what he told them that they needed to do. They needed to remember the original place from which it all began. And that place is God's work, his love for the church, his love for people. Secondly, they needed to repent that they had lost their heart for him. And then he says this, you return to your original practice. Go back to loving Jesus. So 2023 is here. And we have literally no idea what's going to happen three minutes from now, much less the rest of this year. But I know this to be true. Our God is the only God. And he is the only truth. And so whatever comes this year, what we have practiced and been reminded of this morning must guide our lives in all of 2023 walking in the truth of his word. And at the very end of Revelation, John says this, even so, come Lord Jesus. I would love for him to come in 2023. Wouldn't you? What an incredible thing. Let's pray.